now for your feature presentation. Force 5. Welcome to the Force 5 podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed five list, and then we discuss our picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and today, my guest is Rosa Parra. She's a member of the Hollywood Critics Association and the co-host of an excellent podcast about Latinx representation in film called Latinx Lens. How's it going, Rosa? Hi, um, it's going great. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's going good. Good. Can't complain. How, how are you, Ben? <laughs> I have been great. Well, trying to stay sane anyway during this pandemic, which we are. Seems like we're just going to be in forever. Right? Yes. Um <laughs> Yeah, some some certainly some challenging times, but I guess I think these these recordings and these episodes and podcasts are helping both <laughs> um, us doing them, keeping us busy and 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 entertained by talking about films, and hopefully the listeners too. <laughs> I agree. This is kind of one of the reasons why I started this show to begin with, because <laughs> oh, nice. it wasn't like we're going out and watching movies, so you might as well stay home and talk about them. Right? Yeah, that that sounds logical to me. <laughs> So uh, tell us a little bit about you. Um, tell us about maybe your background in film and um, maybe some of your favorite films just in general. Yes. Um, so, of course, I'm Rosa, a co-founder and um, co-host of Latinx Lens, a podcast, as you just mentioned, uh, dedicated to uh, Latino representation and contributions and film, the film industry as well as television. I just recently <laughs> got approved as a Rotten Tomatoes uh, approved critic. So, so that's oh, congratulations! Oh, thank you. It's something I, I hold dear to my heart. But my primary job, actually, I am an electromicroscopist, which is just a specialized <laughs> a term for a specialized lab technician. I, I work in a hospital as as my full time job. I'm a I'm a little scientist nerd. <laughs> so yeah, loving it. But film. Film is something I just love doing on the side, and I'm very privileged and lucky enough to be able to do this and, and watch movies and review them and, and so on. It comes to a surprise to, to a lot of people, a lot of the listeners. I have not been doing this for, for very long. And uh, as we talk about our countdown, I'll probably give a little bit of my background story there. I do Latinx Lens. I am also an assistant editor for a podcast and website called In Their Own League, <laughs> which is nice. wholly dedicated on, on women and representation uh, of females in, in the film industry, which is <laughs> why th this, this topic came up to me. It's very dear to my heart. And yeah, I, I also contribute to other websites. I, I write reviews. I, I try my best to keep up to date with, with newly released films. There's a lot of content out there. So it, it's a challenge. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a challenge to, to keep up with everything that's going on. But we're, we're, we're trying our best. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, like, like you said, we're doing five awesome films directed by women today. I think I have a great list and I'm sure you do as well. To get a bit of a feel for your taste in film, what are some of your favorite movies just in general? So I tend to lean towards smaller independent um, films, films that have this like neorealism element to it. Uh, there's just something about those films that I tend to gravitate towards, perhaps because those are the ones that I can relate to the most. So don't be surprised if my list has a lot of smaller films <laughs> that aren't normally the, the blockbuster movies out there. But yeah, I tend to gravitate toward the, towards those genre for the most part. I'm a big drama person <laughs> in film, not, not, not in real life. But, <laughs> but yeah, and for the most part, just the smaller indie films. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, we have, uh, like I said, we have a really great list topic for you today. It was very fun to research, even though my, my number one came to my head right away because it's one of my favorite films of all time. Okay. Uh, but before we get to the list, let's talk a little bit about what we have been watching lately. I'll go ahead and start us off. One of the things that I've been watching recently is a series that's on HBO Max. It's a DC animated series called Harley Quinn. Harley? It's me, dickhead. Ahoy! You can turn the world on with a smile. This is going to be the start of something huge. So this is one that I kind of put off because 
I don't love Harley Quinn as a character in the films. Like I've, I've seen Suicide Squad and I really didn't enjoy that movie, but Harley Quinn as a character, I wasn't really that into. Uh, but my friend said, you have to watch the Harley Quinn animated series. So I gave it a shot. And this is actually a really great alternate take on Gotham and Harley Quinn just kind of branching out on her own. This show is very well written, and once you get past the first episode, which kind of felt like they were trying a little bit too hard to be edgy, mm -hmm. because they're on HBO Max, they can say what they want, they can do what they want, and there's just a ton of swearing in it. Once you get past that first episode, it's a really great show. It's also got one of the best voice acting casts that I think I've ever seen on a show, and I'm just going to rattle off some of these names. Uh, the person who voices Harley Quinn is Kaylee Cuoco from The Big Bang Theory. Um, it's got Lake Bell. It's got Alan Tudyk, Tony Hale, who plays Buster on Arrested Development, Jason Alexander, Diedrich Bader, even people just for one or two episodes like uh, Frankie Muniz is in here. Oh. You've got, um, yeah, it's got it's got so many different actors. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito's in here. Uh, Michael Ironside's in here. Wanda Sykes, Alfred Molina, Will Sasso. There's so many names in here. Just one of the best voice casts I've ever seen. The animation is great, but this is a hard R show. This one's a not for the kids. Tons of blood, mm. tons of swearing, sexual innuendo. So save this one till after the kids go to bed. But it's a really well-written show. And if you like DC, the DC universe, I think you'll like this, this show. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And you're right. That voice cast is quite intriguing. <laughs> And to go in line with our topic today, the show is really about female empowerment. Mm. It's about Harley Quinn breaking off from Joker, trying to be her own person. And nobody's taking her seriously because she doesn't have a crew and because she's a female. So she hooks up with Poison Ivy, voiced by Lake Bell, mm -hmm. and they come up with a plan to have her become a formidable supervillain in this world ruled by men. If you are looking for a great show about female empowerment, it's right here. Wow. Sounds very, very interesting. I'll definitely be checking that one out. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Just remember that first episode. I think they just tried to get too edgy. So get past that first episode mm -hmm. and you're in for a ride. Noted. <laughs> so what's something that you've been watching recently? So for me, I just recently watched a documentary. So I'm taking a little um, head start on, on my podcast researching uh, because for the next episode for Latinx Lens, we're going to be talking about Raul Julia. And oh, yes. Yes. So, so I just watched his documentary on Raul Julia, The World's a Stage. Raul's extraordinarily magnetic. What was also true is that he spoke in his proud Puerto Rican accent. Why brande us with faith? He was proud of being Puerto Rican. I could bring my own culture, my own Puerto Rican background to Shakespeare. She moves me. Not or not removed. The first time I saw him at Shakespeare in the park was just absolutely mesmerized. He was on the poster everywhere, and it was so inspiring to see that everywhere in every train station, every bus ad. I've never seen an actor like Rowe. It was art in front of you. My dad really felt that he could create change in the world and be an activist as an actor and through the roles that he played. It's no longer you or I, it's you and I. He was undeniable. When you have that kind of talent and discipline, success couldn't be avoided. It's all done within a context of love. That's the beauty of it, you see? This man was such a versatile actor. He had it all. He, he had it all. He had vocals. He, he was such a great dancer, an, an amazing actor. And it's just very unfortunate that, that he passed away right at the peak of his career. I, I hate to admit that, that right prior to starting my, my podcast, uh, my only uh, knowledge about him and, and my only familiarity with him was through the Adams family, of course, as Gomez Adams. Sure. But in this documentary, wow, it's just mind-boggling. Everything he's done, he, he's pretty much considered the Latino Shakespeare because he, he was a theater person, which I had zero idea. This documentary, which is actually available on Amazon Prime, uh, you can rent it or you can purchase it from there. And yeah, what, what he did, like his career is just mind boggling. Um, one of the, uh, the insights, one of the uh, little nuggets that came in here that 
really caught my attention was his he apparently did Shakespeare in the park with the great <laughs> Meryl Streep and oh wow yes and just to see them too on stage just man just two powerhouses of actors and he was able to keep up with her and she's known to be one of the best if not the best actress currently working so for him to be able to keep up to her and stand up to her level was pretty fascinating and it speaks volumes to what he was um so yes this documentary please check it out if you have not seen it because it's quite just fascinating this man was just something else and and not only that but it's narrated through um a lot of uh famous and, and a lot of famous latinos actors and filmmakers and people who he worked alongside so you have people like Edward James Olmos and Rita Moreno Benicio del Toro John Leguizamo all these people who were influenced by him and and it's just fascinating fascinating just like you, I had only really known from, well, I knew him from uh, Street Fighter. Oh. He was the villain in Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. And then he was also obviously in the Adams Family, which everybody saw. But I'm looking him up right now as you're talking about him. And he was nominated for four different Tony Awards, which is so impressive. Yes. Yes. And there's this little controversy of him not being nominated for an Academy Award um, for, for one of his performances, uh, which which obviously we're going to be digging up into uh, in the podcast. Yeah. But yes, the man was just brilliant. <laughs> and what's this documentary called one more time? Yes, it's called Raul Julia, The World's a Stage. The World's a Stage. So go check that out on Amazon Prime and uh, go dig into the Latinx Lens episode about it because you'll get a bunch there as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. I've got one other thing that I wanted to talk about that I've been watching. It's a movie called The Tax Collector, which I know that you just <laughs> recently saw as well. Yes. You heard of me? What have you heard? I heard you the devil. I might be. Come on, fool. Good, eh? Every gang in LA has to pay their taxes. What's up, Holmes? Wake up. If you stack short, go rob a bank. Rob your own mother. There's no excuses. Do not test that. Oh, hey, whoa, whoa. You guys look like a couple of monsters. The Tax Collector is a David Ayer film uh, and stars Bobby Soto and Shia LaBeouf. This movie really disappointed me. I've always been a David Ayer defender because I've, I think that Training Day, which he wrote, is brilliant. I loved End of Watch. I think End of Watch is probably one of my favorite found footage movies ever. And I actually really liked Fury as well. I also thought when he directed Sabotage and Suicide Squad that there were good movies hiding inside those movies. I think that they were really messed with by studio interference. But I can't defend this this film. It's got a script that is just terrible. Shia LaBeouf is kind of the best thing about this film as this character named Creeper. And to me, it's just because he is the only person in the film that feels like a real person. But the second half of this thing just falls apart. The first half where it's Creeper and Bobby Soto's character, they're going around and they are collecting tax for a mafia, like a mafia leader in LA. Mm -hmm. And that's the best part of it to me is where they're just traveling around, talking to one another. But about... 50% of the way through the film, it just falls apart and everything becomes contrived and convenient. The ending makes no sense. Actually, there's a few things in here that absolutely make no sense. (laughs) Nothing feels earned. And when it's done, all I could think is I could have watched Sicario a second time instead. And it would have been way better than watching this. I know that you saw Tax Collector recently. What were your thoughts on it? Did you like it? Did you hate it? You're being very kind towards this film. <laughs> this is a horrible, horrible film. And I, I think my, my criticism towards it is the script. That is just a horrible script. Therefore, the actors really can't do much with what they're given. I personally 
didn't like any anybody in this film including Shia LaBeouf's character I thought he was too he, he tried to come across as intimidated but intimidating but he wasn't um as well as David who, who's portrayed by Bobby Soto I don't know if it's because both of them are <laughs> I don't know too good looking to be intimidating <laughs> or I don't know it just didn't work for me the editing the, the the weird like angle shots and it was just it looked messy um in general so yeah to me it's just a bad film overall um i'm satin to to give it a bad review but i would be a hypocrite to to do otherwise and it's like also depicting the culture I, i'm not even upset at, at the way it's being portrayed because it does exist um, so that that's not necessarily my issue with the film. It's just the filmmaking aspect of it. Everything else, the, the editing and the script, everything. It's it's a horrible film. The music, the soundtrack. Oh, my God. It's horrible. <laughs> it's incredibly horrible. When you're talking about the culture, everybody seems like a cut and paste caricature mm-hmm. of East Los Angeles culture. Right. I'm, I'm just going to spoil some stuff for the tax collector right now. So if you have not seen the tax collector, don't see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend seeing it either. But if you if you're that person that's like, oh, I need to see the tax collector, just skip forward like two minutes. When you talk about the angle, like camera angles and filmmaking, mm-hmm. there's one scene where Bobby Soto's character David walks into a hotel and where his wife is staying. He walks in, he walks over to the bathroom, he's just washing his face, and then he looks in the mirror and he sees his wife dead on the ground covered in blood. Mm-hmm. There's no way you don't walk into that hotel room and see her immediately. Right. But he, we're somehow led to believe he walks through the front door, walks all the way past her dead body into the bathroom and just splashing water on his face and he doesn't see her covered in blood to his right. It just makes absolutely no sense. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. This is coming from someone who's born and raised in East LA, and I'm, <laughs> and I was raised around this culture, and I'm a Chicana, I'm a Mexican American, and yeah, no, this is bad. Well, let's get into our list. We're gonna be talking about five awesome films directed by women. What's your passion around this topic? Why did you pick this topic? Well, of course, I'm a woman. <laughs> uh, I am the mother of four daughters. And obviously, my my contribution and, and passion of working for Idol, which is in their own league, which is the website I mentioned earlier, dedicating the, the site and the podcast to highlighting filmmakers, female filmmakers, women in the film industry, and their, our representation and the contribution to the film industry. So I decided to go for female filmmakers because not only do we need to increase and and see more representation of women in in front of the screen, but also behind it. I think it's very important to watch movies through a variety of lenses, not not, not normally how we've been seeing it for for the past almost 100 years, which is through the male heterosexual, white male heterosexual lens. And I think seeing movies through the female lens, it helps us to view the world in uh, different ways. It it gives us the, the, the exposure to different perceptions of society, of how women view other women, and how, uh, and also the vision and different stories out there. So yeah, I I went ahead and and selected female directed films for those reasons. And although lately I have been noticing an increase in in movies directed by women, um, it it saddens me to say that it was never, (laughs) it was never this way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, my wife, I got to tell you, my wife was very excited that you picked this topic and started coming up with her own list, too. So once I once she listens to this episode, she'll definitely be discussing those with me, too. Oh, how cool. Awesome. (laughs) So is your list organized in any kind of way or are they just five random films that you love? Yeah, I just randomly selected them. I don't think there's one I love more than the others because any one of these I can watch as a numerous amount of times and not get tired of them. Um, however, I do have to admit that after selecting the topic, I did not have a, a, an idea. I was not expecting to have such <laughs> a hard time selecting only five. 
that was certainly a, a difficult task <laughs> to complete. And even even today, as I'm recording this, a few hours ago, I was still debating which was I was going to select because it was quite a, a tough decision to make. I love all these five. I love them with all my heart. Right there with you. I had a tough time narrowing it down to five. I actually had a tough time narrowing it down to certain films from directors. There are a couple directors on my list where it was back and forth between two different ones. Like, do I put them both on the list yeah. or do I... Ultimately, I just choose chose one film per director because I wanted to give uh, other women some representation on my list, but right. it was very tough. Yeah, same. Very tough. And because I am fairly recently new at all of this, majority of my films are probably no more than five years old, um, except for one nice. of them. So yeah, it, yeah, it's a variety, <laughs> a variety of films. I've got some newer ones and I've got some older ones. So it'll be interesting to see interesting. if we have any crossover. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. All right, well, let's get into the list. What is your number five on your five amazing films directed by women? Yes. So uh, my number five is 2011's Pariah. Heartbreak opens onto the sunrise for even breaking is opening. And I am broken. I'm open. See the love shine in through my cracks. See the light shine out through me. My spirit takes journey. My spirit takes flight. And I'm not running. I am choosing. I know for homecoming that I'd want to go with Craig. And who are you going to go with, Lee? I'm not going. What do you mean you're not going? If she doesn't want to go, she doesn't have to go. For some reason, Lee just doesn't like anything I pick out for her anymore. You look beautiful, baby. This isn't me. There's this new uh, women's club up there by the liquor store. You haven't heard anything about it, right? I, I never even heard of it. Directed by Dee Rees. And this film is pretty much a coming out story. One of the reasons why I selected this film is that it's very unique in, in the sense that We've been seeing an increase in representation in the LGBT community and films, but I've also acknowledged that majority of that representation is the white demographic for the most part. Um, Pariah, on the other hand, is one of the very few, if not the only film, to have a Black woman or a Black lesbian as the lead and to have that particular demographic in the center of the story and on top of that Dee Reese herself she, she's a lesbian a woman herself so it gives it an additional layer of authenticity to the movie what this film is about it, it follows a lesbian black teenager who is struggling to come out to to her family but also she, at the same time she's trying to find her identity She's trying to figure out who she is and, and how, how is she trying to navigate this world with the knowledge she knows and, and then with, with the friends she has and experimenting here and there. So it's certainly a movie that's authentic, in my opinion, uh, as someone who is um, a bisexual woman and who's actually experienced some of the struggles myself. It takes place in Brooklyn and just her finding her, her identity and, and just walking around with one certain thing and then going home, but having to stop <laughs> somewhere on her way home to change, to give this different appearance to her parents. And then it's just a, a search of her sexual expression that I, I found truly fascinating. That's Pariah from 2011. I'm really excited now because I feel like your films are going to be some discoveries for me too because i've never heard of this film oh, really? and uh like i'm looking up on rotten tomatoes right now and it's 95 percent. Right. it's insanely rated yeah. so i can't wait to dig into this one yeah absolutely <laughs> i feel like mine's gonna be a little more mainstream but my first one my number five is from 2014 directed by jennifer kent the film is babadook where'd you get this on the shelf if it's in a word or it's in a look you can't get rid of the babadook a rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Ba -ba -ba -duk -duk -duk. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. Did he think that about my dad before he died? 
Who sees things as they are, that one? I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioural problems. This monster thing has got to stop, all right? It's just a book. It can't hurt you. So The Babadook is a horror movie. It's about a single mother and her child. Her husband died in an accident, bringing her to the hospital to deliver their baby. Uh, And we fast forward six years, and it's a single mother, her child, and they fall into a deep well of paranoia because this eerie children's book titled Mr. Babadook manifests in their home. And as many times as she tries to get rid of this book, it just keeps coming back. This is one of the scariest movies that I've ever seen. It has amazing imagery, and the Babadook as a creature just looks terrifying. It's also a really fantastic portrayal of grief and regret and dealing with that. Uh, The leads also, uh, Essie Davis uh, plays Amelia, and Noah Wiseman plays Samuel the boy. They're amazing as leads. They give fantastic performances So I cannot stop thinking about The Babadook. It is an awesome horror movie, but it's also a great portrayal of grief, and I highly recommend it. I've not yet seen Jennifer Kent's follow-up to this, which is called The Nightingale, but I am definitely looking forward to it. I'm not (laughs) big on horror films, and I've been, I guess, purposely trying to avoid (laughs) this movie. But no, it's certainly on my list. Uh, I haven't not seen it yet. However, it, it's again, it's on my watch list. This is not one of those for people that tiptoe into horror. Like you, if you if you are scared easily, this one is going to terrify you. I watched this one actually while my wife was in the room, but she couldn't see the screen, and I was watching it, and she was scared even though she couldn't see the visuals oh. because even some of the sound design is is crazy and she basically told me i'm gonna have to leave the room yeah because yeah there was some insane stuff in here and she is not a horror fan so (laughs) beware this one is scary it will stick with you oh wow so that's the babadook from 2014 directed by jennifer kent so my number four is 2017's tigers are not afraid directed by mexican director uh, isa lopez this film follows a group of children um it takes place in mexico and they the group is attempting to just survive they they're a group of orphans who of course have become um, orphans due to the unfortunate drug war and the cartel going back and forth so the movie is a mixture of how can I say this? It has a lot of like pants labyrinth kind of um, elements into it. Uh, and then later I learned that Isa Lopez is very much influenced by Guillermo del Toro's filmmaking um, techniques and such. So it has these like dark, uh, fairy, fantastical, mystical elements to it that work perfectly with the movie. These kids are amazing their their acting is superb and the story itself of course as a mother maybe it was a bit more impactful the story overall this is one of those films where once it ends it leaves you wondering about it leaves you thinking about these characters and and what what happened to them or what's going to happen to them it's not an easy watch frankly i would i would uh, warn people uh, of those who aren't particularly fond of seeing children either violence around children or towards children it's certainly not an easy watch but again it deals with drug war and, and the cartels so that 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 should be a, a a sign as to the amount of violence and the type of narrative this film has it's beautifully directed by by Isa Lopez and I can't recommend this film enough it's certainly one of those films that's gone under the radar it it, it is a bit of horror um has these horror <laughs> thriller elements but they use it differently um, in the sense of, of using the horror, not only with jump scares and such, but using the war and the violence as a symbolism of horror as well. So, yeah, Tigers Are Not Afraid from 2017 by Isa Lopez. 
I've heard so much about this film, and it's been on my radar since it came out, and I just haven't gotten the chance to watch it. I did hear that there was a big Guillermo del Toro influence, and oh, yes. that instantly got me excited because he's one of my favorite filmmakers ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, there, there's certainly a lot of his influence in this movie. It's a great film. Definitely worth watching. All right, my number four is one that I actually didn't even realize was directed by a female until very recently. From the year 2000, American Psycho. New card. What do you think? Whoa. Very nice. Patrick, you're so sweet. Jean? Yes, Patrick? Would you like to accompany me to dinner? Sabrina, why don't you dance a little? Christy, get down on your knees. We're not through yet. That's a wonderful suit. It looks so soft. I don't think I can control myself. If you stay, something bad will happen. I feel lethal, on the verge of frenzy. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. This is a film that's kind of a perfect blend of humor and horror at the same time. It is a fantastic satire. I think you're going to get more out of it going in realizing that it's a satire. It's an all-time classic performance by Christian Bale as the character Patrick Bateman, who is insanely vain, notoriously petty, super jealous. It's a really interesting look at narcissism and materialism. It's got some unforgettable scenes. I will never be able to look at a business card the same way. I will never be able to listen to Phil Collins in the same way after seeing this film. For those who have not seen American Psycho, it's about a wealthy New York City investment banking executive played by Christian Bale. And he hides his alternate psychopathic ego from his coworkers and his friends as he goes into this kind of violent fantasies. And, you know, you don't really know at first if this is real life or if this is something that he's dreaming up. It's got a great cast. You've got Willem Dafoe as a detective. You've got Jared Leto as somebody who works at his firm. Chloe Savaney's in there. Reese Witherspoon is his fiance. Josh Lucas is in there. Justin Thoreau. It's a really great cast. But the direction really stands out. And I had no idea it was directed by uh, Mary Heron. Mm-hmm. It's a great satire on toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Just go in realizing, yes, this is a satire. Yes, it's supposed to be over the top. And you will have an incredible, unforgettable time with this film. <laughs> people are gonna hate me i have not seen this film <laughs> oh that's perfect yeah no i haven't uh had the chance to see it i have so much to catch up on i've heard so much about it this in the babadook as well i'm eventually gonna get to them <laughs> i think this one goes down a bit smoother than the babadook but mm-hmm. if you're a fan of christian bale and his performances you know how much of a chameleon he is yeah but he is absolutely pitch perfect as patrick bateman um, I know that Leonardo DiCaprio was originally cast for this role and then dropped out for some reason. I could honestly not picture anybody aside from Christian Bale in this role. He's just so good in this role. Okay, my number three is certainly an, a film that that's left an everlasting impact on me. It is 2017's again, Wonder Woman <laughs> by Patty Jenkins. I used to want to save the world. This beautiful place. But the closer you get, the more you see the great darkness within. this the hard way a long long time ago um this is the film that ultimately it triggered me to to start writing about film and to give my perspective on movies and just start reviewing films in general i had been following up on movies and i've been trying to keep up with newly released films prior to this film 
But I was hearing a lot of people, a lot of movie pundits discussing this movie and how it was going to be the first ever female-led superhero film directed by a woman and, and how big of a deal this movie was uh, at the time of course I, I didn't understand the whys I'm like okay well it's a female-led superhero and then to learn that it was the first ever one in 2017 that it was also going to be directed by a woman that was the time as soon as I finished watching the movie I was like you know what I think people deserve to know what a woman <laughs> is thinking about while watching this film and, and learn what how a woman is receiving and interpreting this film through the female lens as well. So yes, Wonder Woman, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have seen it. I really don't think I have anything more else to say, but to say that how women are, are treated and how women are depicted in this film through the female lens, this movie established the difference of how men view women and how women view other women through this film. Wonder Woman is always my example in depicting the difference in that female lens. Every time they ask me, what does it matter who stands behind the camera in the movie? All that matters is that it's a good film and that it has a good story, which I partially agree with. Absolutely. The story has to be great and, and the filmmaking techniques need to be great as well. But if you tell me that Wonder Woman is depicted the same way in this film as she is in Justice League, you're definitely not on the right page. They're both depicted so differently. Uh, Wonder Woman is just in Justice League. She's very much objectified and sexualized. Uh, these angles uh, uh, just showing off like from her back, just showing her butt. Or even that scene in Justice League where like Flash just lands on her boobs. And we have none of this in this film. And there's a, there's a reason for it. It's because there's the woman behind the camera in this film. And another thing is that what I really loved about this film, about Wonder Woman, the, the 2017 by Patty Jenkins, is that she not only represented women as capable of being warriors and being fighters and being capable of, of, of saving the world and, and just protecting each other and, and, and such, but she did it without having to make the men around her feel any less than her. In my opinion, that's the whole point of feminism, to be looked upon as similar and equal to men and not necessarily belittle or, or, or give that message that women are better than men. And that's why I love Wonder Woman. And, and it's certainly, in my opinion, a film that deserves to be on my top five. <laughs> it's great that it influenced you so much. I know that this would probably be on my wife's top five list as well. Yeah. This is really the only DC movie post the Christopher Nolan Batman films that I actually like. So I think that says something too about Patty Jenkins as a director. Right. She she has such an odd kind of career trajectory. She made Monster in the early 2000s with Charlize Theron, got her an Academy right. Award. And then she just didn't do anything for 14 years. And then she just knocks it out of the park with Wonder Woman. And uh, I'm pretty sure she's doing Wonder Woman 1984 as well. Mm -hmm. So... We'll get to continue that upwards trajectory for both her and the character of Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Great pick. My number three, we're going to go to my most recent film, 2019's Booksmart by Olivia Wilde. Good morning, winner. Take a deep breath. Visualize the mountain of your success and look down at everyone who's ever doubted you. Fuck those losers. Fuck them in their stupid fucking faces. Hey. Oh shit. Woo. Are we gonna go to school or? Nope. What's two plus two? Go, three, two, one, three. Isn't it crazy that it's the last day of school? Are you kidding me, Samantha? Go talk to her. She's got a really cute smile. Amy, do you know how many girls are gonna be up your vagina next year? Every time I come to visit you, you're gonna be scissoring a different girl. Dude, scissoring is not a thing. Don't knock it until it's you've tried it. Don't knock it until you've tried it. Ow! It's the last day. We got you through high school. I need to go over the end of the year budget numbers. Can't we just graduate, head off to college? That should do it, right? We will persist. I can't hear you. I can't soundproof glass. Good pick, good pick. <laughs> I've heard Booksmart referred to as the female super bad, 
but I think it's so much better <laughs> than Super Bad. I think it's so much smarter. It doesn't rely on, excuse my language, but it doesn't rely on what Kevin Smith would refer to as dick and fart jokes for laughs. You know, I watched Superbad recently, and maybe it's because I'm so far removed from high school, but I just thought it was really cringeworthy. When I saw Booksmart, I honestly had fatigue afterwards from laughing so much because there's so many quick-witted jokes in here that don't rely on just kind of swearing humor. There is some of that, and they're really funny jokes, but it doesn't rely on that. It's got super endearing characters. Um, essentially, it's about these two girls, these two best friends from high school, and they've been A+, plus, do all my homework, stay in and study. They've done that for four years, and they realize that, hey, we, did, we honestly didn't live through high school. Like We just studied through high school. And we're already getting into good colleges. We're going to cram four years of fun into one night. And they want to go to this party. It's, it's a story that's done a million times before. You have these nerds that want to get into this party with the cool people. But it's so different here. Caitlin Dever and Beanie Feldstein, which is... Beanie Feldstein is uh, Jonah Hill's sister. Mm -hmm. They are so good as the leads. All the supporting characters are fantastic. And Olivia Wilde just came out of nowhere with this film. It just surprised me how well it was directed. The flow is perfect. Like it, it just starts with laughs and never stops. It's just a great story about living your life and being a human being through the expectations that people give us and still being able to live your life. And it's not one of these films that has a perfect ending, but it's just a really great ending. And yeah, I'd love it. I would love to see a book smart too. I don't think we'll get it and I don't think we need it, but I would love to see it. Yeah, it's a really good pick. Booksmart is certainly a, a movie I also enjoyed for all the reasons you were saying. And I think that the chemistry between the two leads certainly anchored and, and just elevated this film to a whole new level. I'm really glad you put it on the list because it's certainly one of last year's best films. Even the parents in the film are funny. The principal is really funny, <laughs> played by Jason Sudeikis. They have even even the characters you're supposed to not like the you know the cool kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of them end up being endearing too, and you want to kind of see everybody succeed at the end. Yeah. It's got a really great speech at the end, which I won't spoil. But yeah, just go see Booksmart if you haven't seen it. I think it's better than Superbad. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. Maybe it's just because I'm older, but Booksmart really hit the spot. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Go watch it. So my number two, I, I think we're going to keep it in the 2019 year. It was my favorite film of last year, actually. Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Je suis peintre. L'homme intéressé par ma fille est milanais. Nous partons là-bas, si le portrait lui plaît. Il a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Que s'est-il passé Je ne sais pas. Oh, good one. Yes, oh my, this film is just... I rarely, and I know I'm relatively new at this, but I rarely use the word masterpiece. But I certainly overuse it with this film. It's a masterpiece of a film, uh, filmmaking technique. Uh, it's story-wise, acting-wise. It's just a visual live-action portrait <laughs> that is just fascinating to look at. You, you can be watching the film. And you can pause it at any moment and you can literally make a portrait just on that one shot. It's just beautifully shot. A gorgeous costume design, production design. I'm a big fan of symmetrical shots that are very well balanced. Again, the acting is gorgeous. And, and it's, it follows, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a French film. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to do subtitles. The uh, depicting uh, following this painter who's hired to uh, paint a, a wedding portrait uh, of a young woman. But the young woman isn't aware. Uh, she does not want to marry. She don't, doesn't want a portrait done of her. So they uh, tell her that this hi they hire this woman just for uh, companionship. And eventually there's a relationship develops between the two of them. And it's beautifully told. And, and it's just 
fascinating. Um, there's a lot of scenes that take place in candlelight and, oh, oh my God, I'm such a sucker for period pieces. And this is perhaps <laughs> the best film to, to, to explain why, because it's just fabulous. It, it's just amazing. I, I'm, I could literally run out of adjectives just to describe this film. It's a beautiful story with such a moving and impactful ending that just leaves you thinking it, it only has like one song or, or two uh, that plays throughout the whole film so the sound design and the sound editing in this film is spectacular portrait of a lady on fire my favorite film from last year and highly recommend watching it i believe it's on hulu if i'm not mistaken and if you can't find it on hulu criterion put out a really great disc for this one too mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, it is French and there are subtitles, so get your reading on. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the communication between the leads in this is with looks. With the eyes. It's with yes. Yeah, it's with the with their eyes, it's with their gestures, it's with their expressions. Yeah. It's not so much with words a lot of the time, and I think that that is even tougher to pull off and she did that in this film. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great pick. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going like the complete opposite spectrum for my number two. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm going with a mindless action movie, but I have to put it on here because it's one of my favorite all-time mindless action movies that is elevated by the director, Catherine Bigelow's Point Break yeah. from 1991. Nice. On the coast of Southern California, you can only surf. Party. and make love for so long before it's time to go to work. Rock and roll. 27 banks in three years. Everybody's Anything to catch the perfect wave. I'm not a crook. Patrick Swayze. Fear causes hesitation. And hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. Keanu Reeves. You think I joined the FBI to learn to surf? Point break. Adios, amigo! I had a really tough time deciding which of her films to put on here. I could have done Zero Dark Thirty. Yep. I could have done The Hurt Locker. But ultimately, I went with the one that I've seen the most and come back to the most, Point Break. It has a great cast. Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze have great chemistry together. It is one of my favorite on-screen friendships. If you've never seen Point Break, Keanu Reeves plays a character named Johnny Utah, and he's an FBI agent. There's a gang of surfers who they think might be bank robbers, so Johnny Utah goes undercover and infiltrates this surf gang to try and see if they're bank robbers, and a real friendship, and then a real romance start to bud between Keanu Reeves and, uh, what's her name, Lori Petty, who plays Tyler. It's one of those, if they're the bank robbers, would he be willing to turn them in because he's created such a bond with them? In the wrong hands, this could have been a totally forgettable movie, but Catherine Bigelow elevated it from that. It belongs in those great 90s action movies with movies like Speed, because it easily could have been another Terminal Velocity, but it wasn't. The cinematography is awesome. The stunts are awesome. It's got great surfing scenes, and it's got one of the best foot chase action scenes of all time. Do not watch the remake. The remake is crap. Just watch the original 1991's Point Break. I cannot say enough about it, but Catherine Bigelow as a director, to me, one of the most talented female directors of all time. Um, she's also one of the most celebrated female directors of all time, so chances are you've probably seen something that she's done already. Great film. Point Break, 1991. That's my number two. I'm right there with you. I agree. I agree with everything you just said. And Catherine Bigelow, she's the only woman to ever win an Oscar for Best Directing um, in the 90 year uh, of the Academy yeah. Awards. So that should say a lot about her, her ability as a director. Let's get into our number one top female directed film of all time for you. This film, oh man, certainly one of my favorite films of all time. I uh, just recently watched it, still holds up for me. And the moment I selected this topic, this movie was my number one, without a doubt. And it's 1992's uh, League of Their Own by Penny Marshall. I'd like to lead you all in a little prayer. 
Dear Lord, may our feet be swift, may our bats be mighty, and may our balls be plentiful. And Lord, I just like to thank you for that waitress in South Bend. You know who she is. She kept calling your name. This summer, Tom Hanks is managing the impossible, the Rockford Peaches. Sounded good. So let's all root for the girls' team. Let's give the poor coach a break. Cause it's flash, flash. We're having a bash at the old ball game. <laughs> it's certainly iconic. It, it has some iconic lines there's no crying in baseball and the performances gina davis she's just brilliant in this film tom hanks also just amazing in this movie and what can i say about a movie that that's celebrating and highlighting uh, this baseball all-female baseball league depicting their their struggles and and everything they had to overcome to make this this league a, a success because they were women. <laughs> they're women, and their women are looked upon as nothing having to do with sports. Women are supposed to stay home and cook and be the wives and raise children and, and such. They're not supposed to be playing uh, baseball. They're not supposed to be doing any of this. So I think that it was very important to have a woman behind this film, a woman who can understand the obstacles that members of, of this league and i just realized that it's actually based on true events i had no idea i thought it was just a film just random film oh i did not know that either. yeah no it's based on true events and, and it takes place in world world Two, and it, it's just a fun film it, it's funny um it, it's entertaining it still holds up that ending sequence it, it still gets me every single time i watch it a League of Their Own, 1992, by the great <laughs> Penny Marshall. It's such a great film that it obviously influenced the name of one of the websites that I'm a collaborator for. And I'm the assistant editor for it, which is A League of Their Own. Uh, in Their Own League, I mean. It's been a film that's been in my life for, for a while. And it was very monumental to me. Because I, while growing up, I was an athlete and I loved playing soccer. And this film certainly gave me that message that, yeah, girls can play sports. Girls can go out there and, and make it in the big leagues. All you have to do is keep trying. I almost actually put a different Penny Marshall film big, big yeah. on my list. But yeah, just just missed. Oh, man. A League of Their Own is certainly my favorite. It's actually my favorite sports film, too. So. <laughs> My number one is not only my favorite film directed by a woman of all time, but it's also one of my favorite films just in general of all time. And it's definitely my favorite comedy of all time. It's from 1982 from Amy Heckerling, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey bud, let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries for their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson, <laughs> a man with a mission. Oh, gnarly. Linda Barrett, not exactly the girl next door. Awesome. Totally awesome! And Jeff surfs up Spicoli. People on moods should not drive. This, to me, is just the quintessential high school movie. And for movies like Booksmart, it all kind of originated here. I know that there were sex comedies and things like that during the 70s, 
But this one also brought a bit of an edge of seriousness to it, too. It's written by Cameron Crowe, who spent a while in high schools just researching how high schoolers actually were, and Amy Heckerling was able to display that on screen. It doesn't really have a solid plot. It's really just a bunch of separate stories about these high schoolers that go to Ridgemont High. It has one of the best ensemble casts of all time. You have Sean Penn as the unforgettable Spicoli, this stoner surfer. <laughs> You've got uh, Jennifer Jason Lee in the first time I ever saw her. She's obviously been in some iconic roles since then, but she's great in this. Judge Reinhold is great in this. Phoebe Cates, Forrest Whitaker. Even these tiny parts, blink and you miss Nick Cage behind there. Uh, blink and you miss Eric Stoltz, Anthony Edwards. Just such a stacked cast. And the characters they play are, like I said, unforgettable. I already mentioned Spicoli. You have Mike Damone. Uh, Mr. Hand, the teacher, it's, he's probably one of the people that I quote the most just in my daily life. Classic. It's also telling that Fast Times at Ridgemont High has what I think is one of the sexiest scenes ever filmed, and it was filmed by a woman who knew how to film that. Of course, that's Phoebe Cates getting out of the pool. I won't say much more than that. It's got so many classic lines, and it just couldn't be duplicated by anybody else. I, I think that Amy Heckerling really brought this one to life. This was turned into a TV show as well in the late 80s. And it only lasted a few episodes because it was terrible. It just did not have the chemistry that not only the characters brought to life, but Amy Heckerling ushered on screen. I was very tempted to put Clueless, another Amy Heckerling film, mm -hmm. on my list because I love that one too. But this one has just, it has way more power. They tackle serious issues like unwanted pregnancy, male dependency, drug use. That's all tackled here. And I think that's why it's elevated above the rest, because it's able to mix those hilarious moments with the things that you run into in high school in real life. And I think that's why Fast Times at Ridgemont High is so great. Um, so that's my number one. Interesting. I have not seen this film, but I'm certainly putting it on my list since it's really up high for you. I grew up with this film. I think my dad made me watch it when I was 15 or something like that, and I've Watched it consistently ever since. I had it on VHS and basically wore that out, and now I've got it on Blu-ray. Wow, okay. Certainly on my list. Well, I'm glad that we didn't double up. So people have 10 awesome female-directed films to check out now. Thank you for joining me so much. Oh, no. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I, this was a blast. I had a treat doing this. Thank you so much. <laughs> So before we end, tell us about Latinx Lens. Like, What's your pitch? So why should people stop listening to this right now and go switch over to Latinx Lens? I, I don't think people should stop listening. As soon as they finish this episode, <laughs> they should go check us out. Because at Latinx Lens, we, Catherine and myself, we're, we're two uh, Mexican-Americans giving our thoughts and views on films um so for the most part we have like a different uh, format for for the podcast so one episode we focus on a filmmaker we select three um movies and then we give our uh, we dive into the movies and how we think this director their vision and their filmmaking techniques it influenced the films and then the next episode is most likely going to be a movie newly movie reviews so there we just select a few films and we just give our thoughts on it. It's just literally like a regular episode of reviewing movies. And then the next episode is most likely going to be uh, dedicated to an actor. So we select a, an actor, Latinx or Hispanic or Latino, Latina actor, and we select three films of their filmography. And also we dive in, we, we, we talk about what they bring to the film, their acting and, and how, if anything, their uh, background had, had any, uh, anything to do with it. We also discuss uh, a representation and how some of these films represent the community. We also talk about some topics that have been coming up lately, uh, like uh, racism and colorism and everything that's going on. And then unfortunately, the little tension and division that's going on amongst within our own community. And, and we give our little thoughts on that, too. So, yeah, go, go check us out. Um, I think we give a perspective and perception that's not really out there, that it's highly underrepresented. And, um, yeah, Latinx Lens is available on every podcast platform. 
We're also on every social media platform. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Latinx Lens. It's a really great podcast. If you want somewhere to start and you like my taste in movies, uh, my episode that I would tell you to start out with is the Robert Rodriguez episode, (laughs) who is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time and somebody that really influenced me because I I wanted to be a director a long time ago. I read his book, Rebel Without a Crew. And uh, yeah, that inspired me to want to be a filmmaker and then ultimately a writer. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a, a great episode to start with. Where else can they find more of your work, like your your written reviews? Yes, um, I'm also on every social media platform, on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook at Rosa's Reviews. And also, yeah, make sure to follow in their own league, uh, at their league. Uh, I write a lot. Majority of my work is there. Um, I, I cover film festivals. I just recently covered um, TIFF. And um, currently uh, also uploading some reviews of screeners that I receive of movies that are going to be coming out in a few weeks or so. Um, also follow Shuffle Online, where I also give my thoughts on, on some newly released films. Those are the two main platforms. We're working towards getting a website for Latinx Lens to go along with, with the podcast. And then I'll probably jump over there and try to do some reviews there. So go check out uh, Rosa's stuff. Go check out her podcast. Go check out her reviews. Go check out everything that she has to offer and follow her on uh, social media because she posts a lot of good stuff. If you want to be a guest on the Force 5 podcast, the only real requirements are that you love movies and want to talk about them. So if you have a five list that you want to tackle with me, email me at force5podcast.gmail.com or head to the website force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and then other Force 5 related content. I've started reviewing movies over there and some other fun stuff. So check that out. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and watch some movies directed by women. (laughs) 